Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com You're listening to a live recording of the Mind Decycling Gender Gap panel held at Look Mum No Hands on 49 Old Street, London, recorded on the 8th of May. Hi, so I created this Mind Decycling Gender Gap scene kind of as an extension of my dissertation research at the London School of Economics, which was about the gender gap in cycling in London and one of the best parts about doing my dissertation was just interviewing a lot of women cyclists about their experiences cycling in London and their perspectives on London's alleged cycling revolution. So um, this scene was an opportunity to continue those interviews and kind of commemorate those stories and just create a platform for wider debate. So without further ado... I will allow the panel to introduce themselves, starting with Emma. Thank you. Hello, uh, my name's Emma. Uh, I'm a librarian and I work at a university in London, uh, and I cycle pretty much every day to commute, uh, but also for leisure and activities as well. Hi, I'm Kay. Um, I'm an architect, and a lot of the cyclists that I cycle with are here in the audience today, so hello. Um, and um, uh, we're also I'm here to talk about the scheme we did called Velocity. Hello. It's too loud. Hi, um, my name is Paola, I'm Italian, I met Kay and other beautiful people here in Pedel, which is a cycling club in London, and I work in master planning, and I'm going to talk about a bit about my work and, uh, and cycling in, in master planning, and also about my experience as a cyclist. Hello, my name's Nikki, uh, I'm a cycling instructor in South London and I also work for the bike project who give bikes to refugees and give cycle training to women and I really like cycle touring and mountain biking. Hello, um, my name is Simone Salmon. I um, founded Bike Freedom so we help to um, work with different types of cyclists, um, probably people who are disadvantaged like homeless people and we work with the community to... um, 
lift up cycling as a, as a mode of transport and, um, and a healthy activity. Um, I cycle most places because I experience travel poverty and um, I work in a shop. My first question to the panel is why do you care about the gender gap in cycling and how would you persuade someone who doesn't cycle, doesn't really think or care about cycling that this is an issue? Uh, Paula? Oh, me. (laughs) Um, Well, personally, um, you know, in my work we plan for... uh, and we try to design a city that can transform in 20, 30, 40 years. And I think that a radical change in making our cities more sustainable can't be achieved if half of the population, which is women, are not cycling. So um, I think the gender gap in cycling is really important because as long as uh, not so many women will consider cycling not just a way to keep fit or doing some sport, but as a way to travel, you know, move across the city, will have a profound impact on uh, how people will move and their um, way to use public transport or private cars and so on. So imagine, a, uh, um, you know, a woman uh, being a, a mother or having to care about someone or just being by herself and be somehow not feel safe uh, in moving alone uh, in, in a city. That's what uh, it concerns me personally as an architect and as a planner. And, uh, you know, there are many ways to improve cycling infrastructure. And uh, I think in London uh, some big changes have occurred. But there, is, uh, there are so also some cultural changes that need to be, you know, uh, need to be put in place. For example, the dress code for a woman in an office so far is still quite sometimes incompatible about cycling if you consider, you know, people working in bank or, you know, or somehow, you know, being sim- simply in, an, in a workplace that doesn't have cycling facilities or changing facilities. It's, it's, it's also, you know, a whole lot of um, factors that can... Um, somehow discourage a woman to cycle and that's what um, it cares me and about the second the second question um, I think it will just uh, I will just uh, you know show how convenient it would be just to cycle as the great way to enter a big community which is I think is one of the best parts about cycling and uh, it gets you wherever you went to, to, go, to go faster and, um, and more efficiently, in a way. Um, and that would be it. Okay. okay. Um, I've made some notes because I don't want to be annoyed at myself for forgetting something. So I started cycling in London because it was free and I was a student and I didn't have any money. And as I'm, as I'm cycling along, I'm realising, wait a second where are all the women? And I started counting the number of women that I would share a cycle box with. And I go, okay, it's one or it's two and everybody else was a man. But I stuck with it because yeah, it was free and I wanted, to, I wanted to keep doing that. Roll on a, a little bit longer and I started working on gender equality, but I wanted to do something practically. So that's why I became a cycling instructor. And I wanted to become one to get more women and girls into cycling, which conveniently is the majority of people that I teach 
So I teach primary school kids, but I also mainly teach female um, adults, and especially at the Bike Project, I teach teenagers and women. Um, so yeah, and I also did a lot of cycle touring, and I noticed that, yeah, women aren't cycle touring, or if they are, they're kind of cycle touring in a group of people. Um, so yeah, so the gender cycling gap really bothers me because loads of women are missing out on something that's really fun. It's good for your health, it's good for your mental well-being, it's very social, it's free, it's quicker than the bus, it's quicker than getting the tube. So all of these really good things that, that women are missing out on, it's just it's not cool. Um, but yeah, so I think that not so many women are cycling in London because of this kind of racy, macho, impatient culture that we have. And I think it's... it's um, it's from motorists as well, but also from like within the cycling community, if you want to call it that. Um, so people, some of my friends I was talking to before coming on this panel, I wanted to kind of hear their stories of, of how they felt when they were cycling. I don't really ever wear a skirt or wear a dress, but some of my friends said when they wear a dress, other cyclists or people in cars will shout stuff at them. One of my friends told me that when she was at the traffic lights, a man slapped her, bu- her bum when she was sitting on her bike. Another friend told me that her friends stopped cycling because of so much street harassment. Um, and it's kind of basically other people projecting on us that, oh, you're taking up too much space on the road. You shouldn't be on the road. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable so you're not going to cycle on the road, um, which, is, which is really bad. Um, and the worst story I heard, actually, was my friend's sister. Her boyfriend said to her, oh, it's too dangerous for you to cycle on the road. You can't cycle to work, which was, was a five to ten minute journey. But he's cycling a 30 minute journey to work. So why is it safe, safe for him to cycle, but it's not for her to cycle? Um, so it's this kind of unfriendly culture, which is kind of, I think, leading women to not want to, to enter into cycling, which is very unfair because it's great. Um, yeah, and people telling, telling us that we can't do things or kind of trying, trying to like control our... Our life is, is really not cool. Um, and more often than not, when I see a kind of um, a slightly nervous cyclist, it is a woman, and she's kind of hugging the pavement, if you know what I mean. So she's very, very close to the curb, and I feel like she's sort of apologising with her body. Oh, I don't want to take up so much space. So actually, cycling should be really empowering. And when I tra- trained as a cycling instructor, like nobody had taught me how to ride on the road. I wasn't using gears on my bike. Um, and so I started to take up more space on the road, and I felt really, really empowered. And if we think back to the suffragettes, like the bicycle was kind of a tool and an image of like women's empowerment. And it's a real shame that we've kind of, kind of went up, up the hill, and kind of we went down the hill again. Um, yeah. And uh, one of my housemates used to work in cycle campaigning, and he says basically, the more women that are cycling the more people in general will cycle. So when people feel, women feel more comfortable on the road, for example, with a segregated cycle superhighway, since segregated cycle superhighways have been around London, many more people have been using them, which therefore means many more women will cycle, which means that in general, more people will cycle, um, there'll be less pollution, there'll be less congestion. Um, but yeah, the tricky question of how, how to make somebody that doesn't care about cycling um, bothered of uh, what was the pra- <laughs> what was the thing? Um, yeah, what? But, 
inclusive, sorry, that's a word, like inclusive cycling is important. So I think it's, it's easier to persuade a woman because you're basically saying, okay, it's kind of a, a, like a sexist thing that, that we're being told that we shouldn't, not being told, but we're being felt like we shouldn't take up so much space on the road. So let's, I'm going to take my space on the road. Um, but for people in general, the more people that are cycling, yeah, there's less pollution. If you think about making it more inclusive for, for women to do the school run with their kids, then outside the schools, there's going to be less congestion, there's going to be less pollution outside of, outside of the school, um, and everyone's going to be living like, more healthy lives, and we'll be happier. <laughs> so I'm just going to look at my notes, because I ran but a bit. Ah, uh, yeah, so it's the final story that I wanted to tell, if that's okay. Um, there's a really great group that I got involved in called the Croydon Bicycle Theatre, and they did a ride on International Women's Day, which is from Croydon south to Colston, along this really, really unfriendly road um, where there's no cycle infrastructure, cars are driving very, very fast. Um, usually it's only kind of like lycra-clad people that are, are braving that road. And a lot of women that joined us, they, um, they joined us on e-bikes, and it was the first time a lot of people had cycled in a really long time. And so I think that ride basically highlighted a lot of these issues of when you don't have good infrastructure, people don't cycle, especially women don't cycle. When infrastructure is made for cars people are less likely to want to get on their bike and go off and the kind of annoying thing that happened in this ride was it was supposed to be an international women's day ride but there was some a man from the council who uh, felt that he needed to tell us that we were taking up too much space on the road even though I w- we were marshalling this ride and it just yeah it was just really kind of epitomized this whole, whole thing of no you're taking up too much space on the road um yeah i think that's i'll wrap it up there <laughs> Um, for me, um, I'm, for me, I found cycling because, again, um, I didn't have any money and I, I experienced travel poverty. And there's a lot of, um, oh, sorry, there's um, a lot of different types of people. There's a lot of different types of people um, that are emerging as um, different types of cyclists. So, for instance. Um, not just women, but different types of um, cyclists. So for me, I'm not the epitome of a normal, regular cyclist, and I get a lot of flack when I'm out cycling. Um, so it's, it's a bit of everything for cl- inclusivity and um, for women and different types of cyclists. Where I live, um, in Greenwich, they have tried to make um, um, segregated cycling, um, and they are getting better, um, but... Um, I think to um, to follow um, what some of the panel have said um, is to um, to make it the norm. The more I, I see more people cycling who look like me, who are women, who are different types of cyclists, not just the normal um, lycra-clad people who are ultra-fit, who have the best um, equipment, who have the best bikes. My bike is not ex- um, exactly the best bike, um, but it's just about getting out there and doing it and being confident to do it. Um, I think it's just making it the, the norm. So, uh, again, going out on the school run recruiting different people at different types of places, the library, um, you know, churches um, and different community spots where people would have, um, you know, taster sessions to have um, an introduction to cycling who wouldn't normally take it up. Um, There's different types of cyclists now that we see who are like... um, 
what are they called? The um, the Deliveroo people or the um, the um, Just Eat people who are on bikes. They're the ones who are who are cycling to make their money, to make their rent, um, and just um, including those types of people in um, the gap of of cycling. Um, but mostly, I mean, we work with people who have no money. So a project that I did run um, in South East London was where we worked with homeless people who um, would have to um, get to their job their job seekers um, appointment and even though obviously they're they're not all women it was just a a different type of cyclist they would have to walk and if they got there late they would be sanctioned and so you'd have no money so um, the the cycling to that appointment alleviated them having um, feet problems which um, a lot of homeless people have um, but also um, it got them there quicker and they saved money and they had more money um, to do other things or to put towards their life um, and and rebuilding it so I think I think it is about um, closing the gender gap for me um, but I, I'm all about seeing inclusive cycling, different types of cyclists. You know, um, silverhead cyclists, that's a group that we would like to try and work, a group um, that we'd like to work with, or people who are um, coming back from mental health, or, um, you know, um, people who um, are emerging cyclists. So, for instance, one of the groups that we've worked with is young people. So you see the young people doing wheelies in the street and holding up traffic. So um, giving them, uh, if you work in schools, talking to year one or reception classes about bike safety, bike um, road etiquette and, and, say, and, and all those things to get them um, thinking about when they become road users full time um, and you know, making the overall, um, the overall um, image of cyclists, all different types of cyclists, um, more favourable because I know there are there, there, I think there are really responsible cyclists but there are just a small faction that do make it bad for everyone else um, I used to be one of them until I had my accident I used to be that person so <laughs> I've learned my lesson but um, just kind of um, getting people thinking about how to, to have road etiquette as well but I think encouraging loads of different types of cyclists um to to be road users and we all have to share the roads the roads are what they are um i don't know you know with what's going on in terms of making different um pathways and stuff like that and segregated right and riding we all have to use the roads and share and be better towards each other so i think it's just more different type encouraging different types of um road users and also um you know having road etiquette for everyone that's yeah that's where i'm coming from Uh, I feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm just a normal cyclist. Um, I'm not involved in any cool projects like the rest of the panel. Um, So I can really only speak from my own experience as a a cyclist living and working in London. Um, When Tiffany asked this question, why does the gender uh, gender gap in cycling matter to you? I think until I wrote the piece for the zine, um, 
it didn't because growing up I cycled uh, my mum cycled my sister cycled going to school that was how we used to get to and from school um, and then coming into adulthood um, all I've been lucky because the groups of friends that I've made we've all been interested and have done cycling so at every stage in my life I've always had women around me um, that cycle um, so it wasn't until I properly had to think about it um, and why it matters to me um, is that not everybody is that lucky. So people don't have those groups, social groups and um, within the family um, to encourage that kind of behaviour and to see that as being a normal thing to do. Um, so I guess that's why, for me personally, it matters. Um, and to, just to echo some of the points that the other panellists have made, um, like it's a positive thing on so many different levels. So for people to not have access to that... Um, is a real shame, I think. Um, I think as well, um, it reflects the wider inequalities in society. Um, so we're talking about other road users. Um, again, I think I'm quite lucky because I can drive. So I have the perspective of a, a road user as a driver. I have the perspective as a cyclist and as a pedestrian. So I feel like I have a good awareness of what all these different groups of people are trying to do on the road, which I think helps me be a more confident cyclist. Um, but again, not everybody has that. So um, in terms of my job, I'm a librarian. Um, a lot of the stuff that we try and help people with is uh, making them aware of things uh, or pointing them in the right direction to learn more about a thing. Um, and I think the same goes for this. I think that as people are more informed, then the more informed choices they can make uh, about how they want to uh, pursue or get into doing cycling. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why it matters. In terms of persuading someone who doesn't care <laughs> about cycling or is not really interested in this issue, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and I think it, sometimes, no matter what sort of narrative you put forward to somebody, if they're indifferent about something, they're indifferent. So I think that goes back to my point about if you can like, give somebody a bit of knowledge or a bit of information uh, and try and put it in a context that they can relate to, then hopefully they'll be able to put this kind of thing uh, alongside something that does mean something to them and they'll be able to draw those parallels um, and try and understand it a little bit more. Um, so, yes, I think... Sorry, I'm just reading my notes now to <laughs> make sure I said anything. Yeah. Going back to what I was saying about in terms of the wider society thing, I think that's another important um, point to make when, you're, when I'm talking to people about stuff. It's not just about cycling. It's like how we perceive women in society generally. Um, and cycling is just one part of that, I think. That's for me, anyway. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Um, my piece is slightly different. So I wrote a piece. I'm going to answer the question at the end. Um, which was about the sort of sub subconscious and the conscious. So it was about how, when I'm cycling, um, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about my environment and the places that I go through. Um, and then at the same time, I have to switch to navigating my way through the city, which is a very conscious decision to avoid other road users. Um, and for me, I was brought up in Holland, so um, the gender gap isn't equal there, but um, most people cycle between two to three kilometers per day. And they socialize, they shop, um, they date, um, 
They do everything on their bikes. In fact, when they're dating, you know, the awkward moment always comes when you're coming home on your bike and your partner is standing there and then you're deciding whether he should lock up his bike or not. And <laughs> so, um, and also, you know, you can't put your arm around someone on your bike, you know, so there are problems. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, this reimagining and thinking about our world and how it works um, was something that a group of us women all discussed together when we've been out on bike rides and uh, we're a group of sort of planners, engineers, um, imaginers of how the world could be and so we did a proposal which um, won a National Infrastructure Commission competition recently and it is about putting cycling first and it is by a group of women. So it's called Velocity, and we're going to play the video when Alex gets up the ladder to change the sound system over. Positive impact on village life. 
safer play and a more social, spontaneous and happier way of living. From studies there seems to be a clear correlation between relinquishing much power and happiness and Copenhagen is supposed to be the happiest city in the world. There's a walking city in Spain called Punta Vedera that has banned cars over a five-year period. It's happening in Barcelona. We are behind the curve in this country. This is happening all over Europe. Millions of people have relinquished their dependency on cars. With the right approach, this can happen here. For me, um, who is a planner, it's kind of turning existing planning policy on its head and allowing us to sort of be brave and actually plan for the future. And that's really important to us. And that's been what this has all been about. So um, thank you for watching that. That was um, from a, a team of us. And what I forgot to say, it was a response to the Oxford to Cambridge corridor where they're going to put a million new homes. And it was really about bringing in fine grain transport through cycling. And um, I went to um, Harlow yesterday on my bike and um, they had this great picture of the city being planned by Frederick Gibbard with... Um, all the good ladies of the East End looking to see where they might live. Um, and it didn't work out so well because the whole proposal was based around men having jobs and women staying at home and doing the washing and looking after the house. So um, we'd like to replace that team. And so this is our group, Velocity. Um, and if we go to the next slide, that's us. Um, so I hope that kind of answers the question slightly about how would you change the, the gender gap. My second question for the panel is, what was your main takeaway in writing a piece for my zine? I gave you all prompts like uh, just thinking about the relationship between claiming urban road space and claiming space symbolically in other areas of life, whether that's the workplace or in education or in your personal lives, um, as well as just thinking more broadly about the relationship between cycling and empowerment or disempowerment, as Nikki mentioned, how um, sexual harassment can keep women off bikes uh, so, who wants to go first? Um, so, this is a slightly different angle, but it was about the competition, and because in most design and architecture, they're, they're all groups of men, we felt very different as a group of women going to the briefing meeting, and we just looked unusual, and we looked different. And I think we all accepted that and decided to make it a virtue. Um, so you could feel that the space was different if you are more than a certain percentage represented in a room, particularly in what you do. Thanks. Um, I think for me... Um just taking the time to reflect on what cycling means to me in my life um, and how lucky I've been with that and then thinking about how I can try and encourage other people um, to take up cycling in whatever format they want to. Um, in terms of the empowerment and like having the sense of space on the road, uh, just in relation to the harassment stuff, um, 
whatever I do as a woman in terms of how I move around, I will always be harassed in one form or another. And I know that's a bit negative and quite cynical, but that has been my experience. So I think in, if I think about that in relation to cycling... I wouldn't let that stop me doing those things. Um, and I certainly wouldn't let that stop me feeling that I have a place um, and the space to be able to do that. So I think in that it just reaffirms um, that I'm, that's okay, I'm allowed to do that. And so it's kind of strengthened that feeling of empowerment, I think, for me. Um, for me, my takeaway would be I, I'm still um, thinking with regards to inclusivity. So um, for me, my takeaway and some of the women I've encountered or different types of cyclists I've encountered to get them into cycling um, and what it means to them is probably the empowerment of getting places under their own steam, um, taking control back of their life. Some of the cyclists um, we've worked with in the past, um, it means for them not to be um, sanctioned or for them to lose um, benefits or sometimes their, their, their home or accommodation so it's empowerment for them it's fitness because I remember when we um, first broached the idea of, of um, starting um, a lot of people were like well why do they need to ride why do like homeless people need to, to get places or where have they got to go but when I spoke to them and we had feedback they, they re- reported that they had um, when we said what did you do when you went out with the bikes well we we visited people it allowed us geography your geography is very limited when you don't ride i ride uh, my takeaways i ride because it's free not every time you've got your 150 or your um hopper fare um add-on it's not you know getting on the tube is becoming more and more expensive the 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 bus everything um in london so my takeaway is that it empowers me to get somewhere on my own steam i get fitness from it i get um well-being my mindfulness increases um when we worked with a lot of the people who had different disadvantaged backgrounds they reported that they had um you know a better outlook they were they were more calmer their mental health was better um, and I think that's for all cyclists you get some um, some kind of peace when you're on your bike you get time to think obviously you're watching the traffic and watching your pack and all sorts but you get wellness from it so I think um, it, it's empowerment and it's um, your responsibility you're responsible for this bike to keep it um, you know maintained to find out how to continue to maintain it however small or large um, and also it, it just increases your, your, your geography of London because not everywhere you can walk and not every time um, is something, not all the time you might have the money to, to be able to, to get on the bus or wherever you're going. So for me it's, it's about fitness, it's about well-being um, and I feel like sometimes people stop me as well when I'm, I'm riding and they're like, I always see you around, like, you know, what's that about? And I'm like, you know, it's for everyone to ride kind of thing so I am a bit of an oddity and I in the same vein I I chase people down I'm like I saw your bike I like it where do you live like can we ride together kind of thing because it is something it it you know the inclusivity for every cycling and taking up space on the road is for everyone I'm that person who doesn't mind I get harassed but I don't mind flipping people off that's fine but um (laughs) yeah um that's that's all cool but um you know the the road and and the world is for everyone we need to just 
take up the space own the space you know i'm not going to be in the in the crevice of the 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 the, the gutter for you um so it's it's, it's about ownership and, and power and and you know everyone sharing so that's my takeaway from cycling um in the kind of contrary to the stories that i told before about friends being harassed on the road um in the zine i wrote about cycling at night and how it actually makes me feel very safe and maybe more so empowered than during the day because I feel like if anything's going to happen I can just speed away on my bike and I guess writing that bit for the zine and then preparing for this panel kind of has made me reflect on things that now I take for granted that I didn't used to be very good at mechanics I didn't used to feel like empowered and take up a lot of space on the road and actually how I have evolved as a I don't want to say as a cyclist, as a person on a bike Um, and then I can kind of um help other people to feel that way and I think this is a funny thing we have in the, in the kind of cycling culture of London of people say oh you're a cyclist aren't you and actually some instructors that I work with they're like I'm not a cyclist I'm just a person that's on a bike and I think in a lot of other European p- countries especially the Netherlands people are just people with a bike like oh I need to go to the tram stop I'll cycle to the tram stop it's quicker and I am just a person on a bike I'm not a cyclist and I think once we kind of change this culture in our head of we are just people on bikes making normal journeys, then it will encourage more people to, to do it. Um, and yeah, a really positive thing that made me reflect. Um, so the majority of adults I give lessons to are women, like 95%, um, which is really, really great. So it's basically showing that once women find out about this cycle training, so basically in every single London borough, you can get free cycle training. A lot of the boroughs don't really like promote it very well which is really frustrating but everyone can get like at least one free one-to-one lesson or a group lesson and say for example you want to cycle to work you can get an instructor can be a female instructor to do that route with you so you feel more comfortable to then carry on and do that but I think it's really great that a lot of women are taking up these opportunities finding out about them doing them wanting to learn learn how to ride a bike from scratch or to just practice their skills or ride ride on the road to work um so there is like positive change that is is happening. Great. Um, I think for me, the uh, biggest takeaway from my experience as a cyclist and for, um, from um, reading this scene as well as writing my piece is um, how important it is for whatever level you reach to look back and look at where you started, why did you start it, and how people can start to cycle and carry on cycling and cycle more, having a completely different background. You know, as, as Emma described, uh, as, as well as she did, uh, I have a very, very, you know, supporting family who, give, you know, who bought me a bike without, without even me asking for it. And uh, what if you have a very, you know, scared mom or a scared dad or both are not cycling and they don't think it's an important thing. And, um, you know, cycling with, with a group of only women, which I did with, uh, with Kay and others uh, for Pedel, made me think how important it is to have someone who is not your family, is not your close group of friends, is something else that is kind of ready there if you just uh, approach it to push you, you know, beyond your limits, but without feeling forced to do it, just be encouraged to do it. And um, I just think that, you know, 
having a, you know, considering, you know, as, as you said, cyclists are not cyclists. There are people on the bike. And everybody has a bike, whether it's a 10,000 pounds amazing carbon frame bike or a 20 quid, you know, bike, both somewhere very heavy, very slow. And they're really part of the same community. They share the same space. They might work at different speeds, different abilities, but they're really all part uh, of, of a same kind of user group. And I think... Uh, Whichever group you you know you, you you reach to be part of, you should kind of always look back. Have uh, oh, how did I start? Why am I cycling? And how a person that is not has not started from there might start from. And I think this is a great uh, lesson that we should you know always put uh, in mind. Thank you. Before I open it up to questions from the audience, is there anyone on the panel who wants to just say a final comment, last words? Um, just to kind of, <laughs> I've got one in my lap. Um, just, just to shout out for um, a project that I work with, the bike project, and I can see that my friend and she has flyers to give out. Um, yeah, so the bike project, uh, we need lots of bikes. People donate bikes to us. We do them up. We give them to refugees. Um, we have volunteer night on Thursdays in Deptford. So if you want to, if you think. Mm, I'm not that good at mechanics. I want to get better at mechanics. And I want... I don't know what's happening here. And I want to help a great project at the same time. Uh, between five and eight on Thursdays in Deptford, you can come help us out, help fix up the bikes. Um, if you know any female cycling instructors, uh, we've got... the women, Our women's project is called Pedal Power, and we need more female cycling instructors to help us do that. Also volunteers as well to help out. Um, if you want any more information, come chat to me afterwards. Before um, I take the first question, is Ella in the audience? Ella would like to make an announcement. Where, where are you? Okay. I'm coming. Hi, I just want to say thank you so much first for it. It was really interesting hearing you all talk and um, being introduced to the community. Um, but uh, my name's Ella. I'm an MSc student at UCL and um, I'm studying behaviour change. So I'm doing my project on women in cycling, uh, specifically bike sharing. So I'll be doing focus groups about learning and talking and hearing more about people's experience of or cycling, non-cyclists, non and their experience of using London's uh, bike sharing schemes or not using London's bike sharing schemes and whether or not this addresses or partly addresses the gender cycling gap. Um, so if anyone's interested on knowing anyone else that might be interested in taking part in the focus groups, um, Tiffany said she'll send my email around and a bit more information about it. Um, but it would be great if you guys get involved or know anyone else that would. Questions? Anybody? Hello. Oh, that's loud. <laughs> Hi, I'm Millie. Um, thank you guys so much uh, for your interesting thoughts. Um, I'm a cyclist and I have been cycling in London for many years. Um, I also recently 
started doing some spin classes and I think it's really interesting reflecting on the difference in the gender gap I guess in in spin classes which are is that okay (laughs) um yeah which are overwhelmingly female um people who go to spin classes um and I think you've covered on lots of points about that that might kind of explain why that is whether it's harassment on the street or changing rooms at work um but I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that and I guess also some thoughts on whether you could tap into that kind of growing community of spin enthusiasts um to kind of get more women on the cycling street street cycling I think it would be a great way. I mean, uh, once you start to pedal somewhere, it's just a matter of claiming your space. I think claiming your space is the best, uh, it's the most difficult part, and uh, is the ones that can't be really, you don't have a leaflet with the instructions. Of. I mean, the, 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 there are, but it's, uh, it's more about uh, managing the unpredictable and uh, the different behavior of other people in the street. And, uh, you know, it's a bit like um, running, in, uh, running in the city and running on, in the gym. It's a bit like having s- something or someone or a situation where you are encouraged to do the same thing but outside in a very completely uncontrolled environment, I guess. I've never taken a spin class um so I'm not sure what the gender gap in spinning is, but I would suspect that because spinning is like a fitness-oriented thing, it frames cycling, even when it's stationary, as like a thing to do to get fit. It's exercise. Um, you lose weight doing it, which are all valid reasons, but I think to make cycling more inclusive, How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Inclusive, we have to expand it beyond this idea that you're a cyclist or you have to be really fit or you have to be able-bodied. Um, so... I'm not sure what the relationship between spinning and cycling is, but I think for both we need to expand the idea of um, what it means to do either activity. So putting people first and foremost, so you're a person who goes to spinning classes, you're a person who's cycling rather than having this activity be your identity. I think that's a really great observation. I hadn't actually thought of it before. But um, I suppose the, the difference is is that you get changed, you go into a room, you get sweaty, and then you go and have a shower afterwards. And the truth is that sort of... It depends how you cycle, but um, the, the difference in Holland is they, they don't wear helmets, they don't wear lycra, and they treat it as part of their everyday lives. But there is... I would say in the UK, much more of a phobia about women taking part in sport generally. So those really contained spaces where they're dark and nobody else can see you and the music's so loud that even if they could, they couldn't talk to you, probably feel safer than being out on the, the street. Um. I was just thinking of a, a, um, another group who, um, in relation to um, the um, the spin classes, but they they encourage different types of cyclists. It's called Wheels for Wellbeing. So they have different types of bikes. So um, some of the women we've encountered who um, we've tried to um, encourage to cycle, they said that they missed the, the opportunity to learn to cycle through doing chores um, and um, not, not having time to go out to play like playing out with the boys so um the group that i'm thinking of um that would probably frame cycling for different types of cyclists would be like wheels for well-being so they have a group where they have different types of cycles that would make you feel comfortable so they have very low ones they have tricycle um, tri- um tricycles and like adult tricycles and hand um bikes and stuff like that and some of them are um they they just they allow for different types of cyclists and that might encourage as well and and, and frame cyclists um, differently for different types of cyclists including women outside of the spin class as well because yeah they they're quite sturdy um, bikes so yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Donna, um, I'm an architect, and uh, Paula and I uh, cycled to the south of France from London together um, in March this year, uh, raising money for Corum, which is a children's charity, if people don't know. Um, I thought it was a really, really interesting talk, and I liked the discussion about um, the empowerment that being on a bike kind of gives you and that feeling, um, but also the notes about harassment, and I've definitely encountered both of those. Um, and I would, I would actually be interested to know 
have men treated you differently since you started cycling? Like, and I'm talking about men in the office or friends, like male friends you have or boyfriends. I've definitely, I had a boyfriend who told me, like, oh, you shouldn't really be on the road, it's not safe. And he didn't last that long. <laughs> I would just be interested to know, yeah, has it kind of changed how men in your life have treated you or have you noticed anything like that? Well, that's a thing I, I didn't. So that's why I feel I'm, I'm feeling very lucky because my dad bought my first bike. You know, when I was a child, I didn't even know I, I wanted a bike. And uh, same for my boyfriends, etc. So, but I do think that it's equally, uh, you know, worrying if your female friend will ask you, oh, you're crazy to cycle around. And I, I did get that. You know, with a person of my same age, same, same, you know, level of fitness and same thing. So I think it's equally important to have, well, not, not to have a friend that is encourage you, but just to, you know, to kind of uh, don't get that as, uh, oh, maybe I shouldn't cycle. My friend told me not to, but, also, but you know, a way to com- try to convince her instead of just uh, saying, oh, she doesn't understand. I'm just going to cycle my way. Um, I think most of my friends, male or female, cycle anyway, so I didn't really notice any big difference. But something that I just did think of, that a lady... uh, I sold a bike to a lady the other day, and her male friend, um, who was maybe would class himself as a cyclist, was telling her, oh, you can't buy a hybrid bike, that's ridiculous, I'm, I'm not going to respect you if you have a hybrid bike, and because he had a road bike, that's the bike that you must have. Um, and I was like, this is really ridiculous, you try the road bike, you try the hybrid bike, and then which one did you buy? The hybrid bike, because it made her feel more comfortable. So um, sometimes I feel like, yeah, maybe male cyclists, or actually maybe not just male cyclists just more experienced cyclists kind of forget themselves a bit and feel like oh this is how you should how you should cycle um but yeah i have a lot of female friends who i've been trying for a really long time to give them like a free cycling lesson with me i can teach you in the park first i can get you to go on the road um i kind of had to i've given up for now because i felt like i was kind of pushing it a little bit too much but i'll try again um but yeah i don't know hopefully they'll they'll get there in the end but also then like not everybody has to cycle and if you feel like a lot of women that I teach how to cycle um from scratch and then they're like oh there's no way I want to ride on the road and I mean they don't have to you don't have to ride on the road to be like a cyclist if you just want to ride in in the park or like along the canals that's also like fine but if it would improve your life you know make it well you can get to work for free. There's, yeah, there's a lot of benefits that I should find, <laughs> should find better strategies of like convincing people to ride on the road. Um, well, I, I think for me, I'm, I think other people, when I started cycling, um, they were like, oh, you're cycling now. Is like, what's, what's, what's up with that? But um, I think you get you get flack from other cyclists. So I've been I've been I've had comments where people are saying to you, "Oh, like um, you, you know, you're doing it wrong, or you're on the wrong side, or you're, in your mind you're you're working your 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 path to where you're going." And they're telling you what you're doing. And also, you have I think um, other cyclists you hate on your bike. Have you ever ever had that? So I borrowed a Brompton, so the the, the Brompton higher scheme. So this guy. Um, at the lights, looking at me, me looking at him. He was hating on my bike. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, 
what's up with that? So I think I think other cyclists towards other cyclists have like a kind of like what's up with that? And you're like, just look where you're going. The light's changing. So yeah, I don't know what that's about. But yeah, no one's no one's giving me flack in my family. They're just like, good luck with that kind of thing. But um, it's just other cyclists. Sometimes you get flack off, and you're like, I don't understand where that's going. So yeah. I used to work at a law firm in Washington, D.C., and after I started cycling to work, more men in the office were talking to me, and these were more senior men who were senior attorneys or partners at the firm, and I felt like they respected me more now that they knew I cycled, but it was kind of a double-edged sword because there was kind of a, like a tacit professional penalty where they came in sweaty in lycra and it was like a badge of honor they could like leave their sweaty cycling clothing on their doors and people would be like oh that's so cool you cycle to work you're so environmentally friendly you're so fit blah 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 i came in in like a tank top and shorts and it was like you're really sweaty like are you gonna change into like your dress and heels and it was just a complete difference and like these senior partners these men at this would talk to me respect me more without ever acknowledging or addressing this double standard or the fact that I was taken less seriously if I walked in with like messy hair and just sweat on my face whereas they were more respected for that and um, it's interesting because on a pers- on an interpersonal level it was easier to just make friends and kind of be accepted in like the boys club or that network but also nothing changed in terms of like how I was perceived in the office, um, my salary, um, my likelihood of being promoted or anything. So, um, Well, I suppose it's had an effect on my relationship and that I see less of my husband because I go out on the bike. And in, in the morning, he, he gets up and he goes to the tube and I get on my bike and cycle into the office. So... We don't get that chat on the way in. Um, But other than that, I think that um, there's this uh, issue around um, kind of how women are seen, and it's different to men. If you see a guy out on his bike with his lycra and his helmet, he's a really cool guy, getting fit. And if I go out on my bike on the way to work with my basket on the front, I'm an old lady turning up at a meeting or something. And I think there is a perception difference between how we're perceived. And um, I think that the way we cycle in London is quite aggressive. And I wish it would calm down because I've cycled here for 20 years. And um, I find it... Now, particularly, there's a lot more cyclists on the road. I just wish that there was a few more, a bit more guidance on how people could behave. Um, So I I do sometimes find it more intimidating now, probably, than I did 20 years ago um, when there were less cyclists. So I do think there's a perception difference between women and men, and I don't think you should have to, you know, have a road bike and wear lycra to be respected to be on a bike, really. I mean, I am wearing Lycra, but I do not have a road bike. Um, I think in terms of um, how you're perceived, I think that's really true. And in terms of, you know, what you wear and stuff, I mean, 
it depends on what I'm cycling to. So if I'm cycling to work, then I will probably have a change of clothes because it's about six or seven miles. So by the time I get to work, I do want to then put, get myself into my work headspace. And I think, you know, clothes is a different thing, but that, does, that helps me do that. In terms of being treated differently, uh, I mean, like Paula, not, I've not really experienced that. Um, from people that, I, that are close to me that I know. I think, um, and I'm sure everybody's experienced this, if I go to a bike shop or if I talk to friends of friends and we get onto the subject of riding bikes, um, there's always, I can always tell where there's a little bit of, oh, she, she knows how to like, fix a puncture and she knows what, you know, how to change her brakes and stuff. And at that point, it's almost as if then I am accepted as somebody that is worthy of a conversation with about riding bikes. <laughs> so, but I think that's... Um, and if, I, yeah, if I'm going into bike shops or if I'm taking my bike in for service, I think I always have a little element of... Not fear, but of apprehension of how is this exchange going to go. Um, and m- not so much in London, actually, but in other cities that I've lived in, um, there's been lots of times in the case with the hybrid and the road bike thing where the people working in the shop have been like, oh, no, no, you don't need that for what you, what you want to do. So, well, I, do, I mean, I know what I want to do, so I think I do need that. But it's having the confidence to be able to say, actually, thanks for your words about it, but you know, I, I do have this knowledge. So I think in terms of being treated differently, that's my, yeah, experience of it. Thank you. Um, and thank you to the panel. I'm down here. Um, I think it's been a really interesting discussion of some of the societal changes that may need to happen um, and of some of the behavioral changes that may need to happen but I'm quite interested in getting down to a bit of a more practical level because besides trying to empower women to claim the roads and teaching them that you can cycle in a dress, um, there seems to be a more proactive position you can actually give women and then create an environment where you don't have to claim a space, you just sort of step into a space that invites you naturally into it. So what are some of those, if Sadiq Khan was to... Um, commission uh, bicycle infrastructural bicycle changes what are the things that are going to move the needle um, to get more women on the roads um, yeah so, so basically much better infrastructure that where you don't have to cycle with cars so actually something that I was reflecting on recently was a lot of my friends that are from European countries kind of laugh at my job sometimes that I'm a cycling instructor and they're like huh you have to you have to teach people how to cycle you have to teach people how to cycle on the road and I think because we have so few segregated cycle ways people do have to learn especially especially if they don't drive a car like I don't have a driving license so for me it was a big learning process of like the rules of the road and where I'm supposed to go so yeah people kind of need some guidance of where they should be on the road and how to deal with with heavy traffic especially fast moving traffic depending on which which road you're you're cycling on so yeah so if if it was possible for me to get from my house for example to a school that I'm working at without going on the road that would be wonderful and so many more people would get on their bikes like today I was coming from northwest London and a lot of the way I went on the canal and I personally just feel so much more relaxed I feel like okay you need to be switched on so you don't fall in the canal but you don't have to be so kind of um, aware and worried about okay so now I need to overtake this bus now 
is there a clear space? Is there a clear space? Now I need to go for it. It's just much more relaxed when bicycles don't have to mix with cars. So that's what we need. We just need more infrastructure. It started to happen. So the uh, Cycle Seap Highway 6, the one that goes over Blackfriars Bridge, I think is really great. It's all on the pavement. It's actually wide enough for bikes to pass each other rather than some of the ones that go to East London where they're on the pavement, but they're quite narrow. So just more of these wider, on-the-pavement, segregated cycleways. I think infrastructure is important, um, but Kay, one thing I really liked about your piece was how you talk about the subconscious and conscious and just imagination and the power of how we visualize things and how that impacts how we enact things. And I think representation is important, not just who is in positions of power to make decisions about cycling infrastructure, but also who do policymakers envision as the cyclist? Um, when you look at Boris Johnson's uh, cycling documents, like the Mayor's Vision for Cycling in London, and the other document that he put out five years later at the end of his term, um, he refers to mammals and hipsters, which are all cycling stereotypes we can laugh at, but it gets really dangerous when they're kind of reinforced at the policy level because it shows, okay, these are people at the mayor's office thinking about cycling infrastructure. Who are they designing for? The mammals and the hipsters. That really leaves out most of London's demographics. And um, if you look at the engineering fields or even architecture, which are very male-dominated, very straight, white, middle-class male-dominated, you can see that they're are just dangerous where there are, uh, there's a lot of potential for, and there have been proven cases of implicit bias where people design for who they, or people design in their own image. So if you have a profession that's mostly male-dominated, thinking about creating cycling infrastructure for an entire city, but they're designing based on themselves and people they work with and their friends, then you just get stuff that works for a very small section of the population. Um, to make it work, I think you have to make cycling easier to do than drive. I mean, you've got to make those routes really beautiful desire lines that people want to follow. I think that... Um, children should have the opportunity to be educated to use bikes and I think it's great that you're teaching people how to cycle but actually I think there needs to be a lot more education for drivers um, we live in a world where strangely enough at the moment um, all of the cars seem to be supersizing and becoming sort of bigger and more obese and taking up more, more road space but at the same time, we want to have a more sustainable planet. And there are things that probably, I think, in cities they need to look at, you know, how big vehicles are um, and really big lorries coming in to London, really huge ones that need to be um, banned and put on the perimeter because it's just not safe to cycle with very large HGVs coming by you. Um, so there are a lot of really practical things that need to be done. And they're all pretty obvious actually if you go out on your bike for half an hour you'll know what they are um. 
Um, yes, I agree in terms of the infrastructure with the points that people have made. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, people do need guidance about how to ride their bikes and navigate spaces. Um, but I just keep thinking of something that Simone said to start with. Like the roads and the space are for everybody to use, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that. So I think your point as well about educating drivers as well as educating people wanting to, to start to cycle. Um, it, all, it, it has to be a bit more cohesive, I think. So it's fine to have all of the infrastructure, but if you don't have the training and guidance that goes with it, then how, you know, how successful would that be? So I think it just has to have a more holistic approach to it, given that I'm not a planner or a bike instructor. I don't know how that would work. I've got an example, actually, in Holland. They, um, in the driving test, they teach people to open the car door with their other arm, so they have to look round, and it just seems a very practical step towards making cycling safer. You know, like uh, projects like uh, they've done in Barcelona when they thought, oh, why don't we close every road after two in the city network of roads? What would happen? And I think in a city like London where every single you know, uh, taxi driver will know exactly in real time if that road is closed or not. I don't really see why uh, quiet routes cannot just be closed from one way to the other. I mean, I cycle through quiet routes, but sometimes they're quite difficult to recognize because there is just, you know, just one thing on the, on, the, on, the, on the tarmac and there are cars parked any, everywhere. Uh, I guess I got particularly upset when I cycled to some parts of London in Bank uh, or in South Kensington, and there are no bike racks. <laughs> like every time I can't, I don't know where to park my bike. I start to get really upset in a way. And I think, but I think, for example, the cycling to work scheme has been very successful, but it should include uh, um, uh, support, like financial support or planning support to having bike facilities indoor for people who cycle. I think that makes a huge difference. I literally can cycle inside my office without even dismounting at the moment. And that makes such a big difference because whatever bike you've got, you know it's not going to be stolen. You know it's not going to be rusted because it rains and everything. It's got, you, you can use it you know, afterwards and it's going to be dry. And... Um, uh, but this can't be just up to the employer. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be pushed forward a little bit more. Okay, for me, for um, encouraging more cyclists and um, for um, educating people more, I think um, the the um, the mayor's office it, it's true. Um, they they will have kind of these um, stereotypes of different types of cyclists or the same types of cyclists. So for me, I feel like um, you know catch, capturing people, young people especially from in schools, and um, the consultation needs to be more thorough. Um, I don't think when they um, do consultations um, for. Um, different groups and different um, boroughs, they don't do it thoroughly enough um, and, and, and comprehensively enough. They need to go to places 
um, you know, that are out of the box. So, again, like the libraries, the churches, the schools, um, places like that, to really get a, a handle on different types of cyclists, not just the, the same types of cyclists all the time who are getting their needs um, met. And things like, um, you know... Um, with schools having bike buses so uh, a group of children that are um, taken to school a, a meet up point with an instructor at the front and an instructor at the back that takes them on the, ro- the road Do, have you done that before? to take them to school so you know you have walking buses you can have um, walking um, cycling buses for, for children to go to school and those areas um, where schools are there's more not just traffic was it traffic calming? or traffic calming, but more extreme um, versions of that for bikes so that it will encourage young people and children to be able to cycle to school um, safely without their parents kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, are they going to be all right cycling? And, and um, you know, the school's been on, on, on board with that. I think the new generation of, of cyclists that we're, we're getting, the younger people in schools um, and the teenagers, um, um, I think those are the groups and alternative cyclists that the mayor should be looking towards who might want to recapture cycling if they've left, left it behind in their, their youth. Um, so it's not just one type of cyclist that you're kind of um, meeting their needs and stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm all about different types of cyclists. We give out lights um, to engage with young people and we give them cycle... Um, cycle um, safety, cycle information and also by giving them lights it means that they're not going to be hassled by the police so if they're on the road at night and they've got no lights the police are going to hassle them and give them grief so engaging with them to, to give them free um, mechanical um, assistance for their bikes fixing their brakes and giving them front and back lights it means that they get the, the police off their back and it's, it's, it's a more um, enjoyable experience for them to get where they're going and safely as well so I think it's just talking about um, informing and um, educating different types of cyclists and um, you know getting other types of people on the road not just the same types of cyclists um, yeah um, I just wanted to respond to the, the driving lesson thing um, yeah, um, so my understanding is that newer drivers, I'm not sure if it's like in the syllabus, but newer drivers are more aware of cyclists, but, and, and it is a good thing the amount of cycle training that happens, but the responsibility is always pushed upon cyclists to be assertive and to, to learn the rules of the road. And there is a, there's a thing called changing places where lorry drivers change places with the cyclists and cyclists go sit in a, a lorry driver cab. I'm not sure exactly how that works, whether it's the lorry driver firm, they make their drivers do that. There's a similar thing with car drivers, but I think it's done as a punishment thing, as in if they've done something wrong. So that's not really the best kind of entry point. I could be wrong. I, I don't do that training, but it's like it should, it should be for all drivers, not just drivers that have done something wrong, because then actually, in theory, it could make it worse. They're just like, oh, they made me do this, this training that makes me more, more aware about cyclists. Oh, I'm so annoyed by that. So yeah, it should it should be in the kind of driving lessons or within the tests, and then then yeah, drivers will be more aware of cyclists, and it won't just be the responsibility pushed on us that are on bikes. Uh, can I also suggest I'd really like to see a program where everybody who works in a bike shop 
has some diversity training or something because every single bloody time I go into a bike shop, I get grief. And because I've got not a racing bike, I've got like a hybrid and it sort of looks like a Dutch style bike. When I first bought it, it was like, I need a pannier rack so I can put a basket on it. Every single bloke I spoke to said, like, gave me grief for wanting a basket on my bike. Someone said that. So I think a structural change that could be made was diversity training for every single person who works in a bike shop. And every bike shop I've been to, look, mum, no hands, has women on staff, which is amazing. But every single bike shop I go to in London is all male staff. So that would be great. Um, the other thing I'd just like to ask, is there any scientific research, I know you were doing, this comes off your dissertation, about what is stopping non-white men cycling? Is there any scientific basis we can work off? There's social science research on how people do what they see is possible. So the lack of um, diverse role models, the lack of diverse policymakers, planners, and engineers is a barrier to um, people for cycling. And um, I think, Simone, your piece touches on this more, just the power of seeing yourself reflected and endorsed in a more official way. Um, And just having role models, people who normalize cycling and make it seem like an everyday thing and not something you can only do if you have this particular kind of bike or this gear or this kind of body. It's about role models. If you think about Tour de France, Giro d'Italia, they're all white men as well. (coughs) Hello, I um, work at a community bike project in Oxford and we have um, a women and trans night once a month um, and we create quite a different atmosphere in the workshop. Um, We're not all men that run the workshop but it is mostly men Um, and sometimes I can feel like it's quite segregated, like you come in for Beryl's nights and have this amazing time and then when you come into the workshop it will mainly still be men and mainly still white men. Um, because a majority of the people that volunteer with us and work with us are still white men. So I wondered if you had any kind of ideas about how to try and change that, um, because, yeah, how to, how to get, get interest in, 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 in becoming um, a mechanic or a volunteer or something. And similarly, um, my experience at some kind of infrastructure stuff is that I'm the only young woman there, um, and everyone is white. Um, and I don't really know in the position and I'm in how to challenge that. I kind of am really stuck with, like, how do I make that different in the organisation that I'm working in? So I wondered if you had any tips or... Uh, I, I, I'd just like to say I've been really lucky to um, sort of tangentially been drawn into a group of women who cycle which was set up by Jen and Claire who are both here um, where we all cycled together and there was a definitely different um, well as well um, there was definitely a different atmosphere about that cycling that 
made us engage. So I, I would say, actually, it's for us as women, if we want to cycle to start making the difference and getting other women out on their bikes as well, because for me it's been really super encouraging and I've really enjoyed it. Thanks. Um, I would say, like, skill swapping... Skill swapping is a good one because um, women love like to to share um, and getting people in to to um, exchange some somebody to exchange different skills and everyone has a skill I believe everyone's got a talent and every and something that makes everyone unique so um, you know um, introducing a skills night where you can say to people look. Bring your bike that's been in the the garden rusting for how long, and in in return, you know you can show us something else, and we can show you how to to you know um, piece by piece um, put that bike back together and and get people involved like that because everyone has a skill, you know, and in, and everyone can learn something new. So I think skill swapping and skill sharing. Um, I know that there's a... I've actually never been and kept meaning to go. There's a Women and Gender Variant Night every other Monday at the London Bike Kitchen. And also in South London, there's Camberwell Subterranea. We have a group called Women Fix It that give free, um, like, basic mechanics training to women. And I think this is also kind of a barrier to women getting on bikes because if you, do, if you feel like you don't know how to fix your bike if something goes wrong with it, maybe you won't get on your bike. And the first time I went cycle touring, in hindsight, I think it was quite irresponsible because I went to the Highlands by myself. I had absolutely no idea how to fix my bike. Luckily, nothing went wrong. But if it had done, that's completely my fault because I hadn't learnt. But why didn't I learn? Because I didn't have these comfortable spaces to learn in. And I feel... And, and I've given people lessons who they stopped riding their bike because they got a puncture and they felt embarrassed that they didn't know how to change it. So we need more, more kind of nights like this where women can feel, okay... I have like a really silly thing to fix. Oh, I don't know how to fix it. But I'm coming into this like kind of safe space where I won't feel embarrassed if I don't know how to um, to patch a puncture or even like take my wheel off. Um, so there are a few. There was another one at 56A near Elephant and Castle, but I'm not sure if that's running anymore. So there's a few that they kind of go in ebbs and flows, but we need to kind of increase the numbers and keep them going. I think a good concept is the tool library. So consider um, the place when you run the workshop not just a place where other people would be, but a place where you can borrow and use a, a good, complete set of tools, uh, and you will probably get someone who teach you how to use them. And honestly, I think it's uh, it's really helpful. We've got we've got a library tool in our office, and I think it's it's really helpful. I was recently in Copenhagen for a cycling conference, and I know you can't Copenhagenize everything, but one thing that was really interesting was a lot of the people I talked to were just fascinated by the idea of cycling workshops and cycling co-ops where you learn like bike mechanics, and they were just like, well, why don't you just take it to your shop? And it wasn't it's not really an issue of like cost or availability of bike shops, but just this ethos of to be a person on a bike, to be a cyclist, you have to know ABC. And I think it just goes back to as empowering and important as it is to learn bike maintenance, if that's what you want, it's also important that we 
tell people and that people feel that if they don't know that, if they don't care to learn it, that doesn't make them any less of a person or a cyclist. Um, Uh, just in terms of um, getting different people in from different places, um, maybe just collaborating with other community groups or identifying yeah, yeah, local community groups that might have an interest. Um, I was thinking about the WI. There's loads of really active branches in East London, um, and I can imagine a kind of collaborative, in a similar way you were saying about the skill swap thing, um, but like plugging into those already existing groups to try and spread your message a bit more widely might give you a bit yeah, more of a range of people that would want to come to stuff. Hi, good evening. Um, we're a small business. We sell used bicycles. And very often when a family comes to uh, buy a bicycle for their children... We ask the parents uh, whether they have bicycles. Uh, I'll say 90% of the time, the father will have a bike, the mom no. And the mom is not really interested to cycle. When we think about it, uh, men usually go to work, women look after the children, and they take them to school, they take them shopping, they take them to activities. And if the mom, if mothers can cycle with their children, then, first of all, you're going to save them a lot of money on transport. Uh, it's a great way to exercise, but also the mom becomes a great role model for the children. One day when they grow and become adults of their own, they, they'll be able to pass that message. At the moment, we, um, I know you're a cycle instructor, sorry, I came quite late, so I missed uh, the presentation. Uh, we have our own children as well, and in school... There is only teaching for children, but I've never heard of uh, mom, mother, and a child teaching. So if we teach mothers to cycle, then I think this is a great way the message to be passed uh, to the young generation. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have to say there are more moms driving to school than moms either scooting or cycling. Um, Hi, I'm her husband. Um, <laughs> I have been quiet and thinking because there have been a lot of things which have come up here which, uh, which have sort of like... All right, things, uh, if we start with like the one of um, the absence of black people cycling, the first time I noticed that was only a few years ago when we went to the Revolution series at the Velodrome and my daughter pointed out that there were no black people in the circle, that being where the, um, the professional riders and their teams were. Um, there was only one black cyclist from France, um, name I've forgotten. That was actually the first time I noticed that there was a, an ethnic cultural divide Regarding the difference or the, um, the lack of take-up with women, I think, I mean, the first thing, first thing is what Perry has just said about um, the way families approach it. That is, the, that is an overwhelming factor. And I think it's also a factor that the men tend not to encourage their wives 
generally because if I'm a bad driver, then I will think, hmm, yeah, it's all right when I'm driving bad, except when my own family are on the road. So maybe I should keep my family off the road because me and the rest of my bad drivers are ruling the roost. And there is a lot of that. Um, with, with the fear that women tend to show which then translates into the lack of take-up and the lack of sharing the experience or the, um, the confidence to ride. Majority of, the, majority of the comments that come back to me are about the fear of drivers. Fear of, uh, the fear of drivers. I think there are... I think even among attitudes... When driving, there are differences between men and women. Men are more likely generally to take risks or be slightly reckless. And I think the perception of danger then when you come to a, sli- to a more vulnerable position as a cyclist is in, I think that I pick up mostly is another, it's sort of like a stepped feature which um, enhances the fear of women taking to busy roads and as such the reduces the uptake of, of women cycling. Now the more we can do about that and I again I I, I take on I, I agree with um the uh, with the position of some of the ladies up here who say the more you can share with your friends, the more you can invite people to cross cultural activities where you can share a skill set and um, yes, and the more you can, for if anybody who can sort of like tighten, tighten a brake cable, show somebody else how to tighten a brake cable. And because the more we know, the, uh, the bolder we feel. So I think that would be the first thing I'd say. And some, some bike shops, Halfords included, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shout out Halfords for this because I know they do it more so than most others. Some bike shops do have free. Uh, sessions where they invite people, families, children, women, anybody who wants to, to come in and have a um, like a free taste uh, session of or, or free course of how to maintain your bike. The more we can do that, any uh, whoever can encourage, whether it's encourage your office, encourage your your friends, encourage um, your local bike shops. If you work in a bike shop, if you can push that. Um, the, I think if we can slightly demystify it, then it starts to bridge the gap. Uh, just a, my, question, my question is, anybody knows of a course where mothers and children can learn together to cycle? Um, yeah, so it's possible. There's a thing called family cycle skills, once again, because lots of different boroughs aren't promoting it very well. People don't know it exists. But the problem that I get in school, so the only way I kind of get contact with a mother, so if I've, I've taught her child how to ride a bike, and then I'll say, do you have a bike? Do you know how to ride a bike? And then I give her a flyer, and then hopefully, I just hope that then she goes and gets a lesson. But this is kind of on a school-to-school, like child-to-child basis, so it's not really working very well. But yeah, if more people knew that they could learn how to ride a bike with their kids, or they could practice riding a bike with their kids in the park, then it would, then it would help. So, yeah, in all of the boroughs that I work in, it's possible to have family cycle skills. So you can start to spread the word as well. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I think time's up, so thank you all for coming. Um, yeah, I think some of us will be around for a bit for questions, if you want to just come up and talk to us one-on-one. -on -one. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for coming. Alex, do you have closing remarks? Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Tiffany, yeah, if, you know, if anybody wants to buy your zine, please come and grab Tiffany and buy one. Um, yeah, no, everybody, can we just give them all a massive round of applause? Thank you all so much. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.